If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapters 20 and 21, that's where we'll be this morning. 20 and 21. Next week's going to be a really great week. I mean, this is an okay week, but it's one of those couple bad kings weeks. But next week is Josiah. Josiah is eight years old and begins a revival in the nation of Israel. So let's just keep that in mind as we go through this morning's text with Hezekiah. He's pretty good, but he's got some problems. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to meet in this place and fellowship and sing praises to you um, and learn of you. By your Holy Spirit, we pray that your word would speak to each one of our hearts, uh, bring us closer to you, to a full understanding of the truth. And um, we love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 20 is the rest of Hezekiah's life. He was a good king, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and we haven't had very many of those. It's a nice break, you know. Uh, it seems like the fellowship with God is back again in the nation. Everybody's a little more at ease, and um, there's something nice about it when dad's in a good mood. I had a moment yesterday as we were out at Mazingo with our uh, new stand-up paddle boards, which I can't stand up on. Nonetheless, that's what they're called. And the kids, I hold them out there uh, just past the ropes, and, and they do backflips off them and stuff. And it was getting a little tricky to manage two of them now as they're doing this, and they would jump. Long story short, one of them gets a headache, another one gets hungry. Things are kind of going south. And so I kind of stopped everybody and said, look, you go get Motrin. You go get some fishy crackers on the board. Get a drink of water. Let's get this stuff so we can get back. And so they all scatter you know, to go handle things because I'm getting a lot of complaints. And then I'm sitting here just kind of, and Bo's still on the board because he doesn't have any problems. So Bo's sitting there looking at me, laying there, just staring at me. He goes, Dad, please don't get mad. I'm like, I'm not mad, buddy. It's just a little drill instructor coming out of me at that time. It's like I get a lot of feedback from everybody. So let's get things handled so we can get back to the fun because all I'm hearing is the complaints. So let's just deal with them so we can get back to it. You know, 20 minutes, your headache will be gone. You won't be hungry anymore. Thirst is over with. All that to say is it's nice when we get to King Hezekiah where the kids took the time to get right and get past those things that they need to get past so we can get to the deeper things of God. So we can get to those places where we can grow with the Lord. That God will absolutely halt my growth and my walk with him when we've got an issue that we need to deal with, he doesn't gloss over it. He doesn't go on to step five if I haven't handled step four. He'll stop the whole process. And it's important for us to know as Christians, like, look, no, we can't go any further till we deal with this. Nation of Israel have been so rebellious against God, they needed to deal with some stuff, and they have a wonderful king that began to deal with it. And because he did, they were able to go deeper with him for a time, for a time. Now they're going to fall short here, but that's where we are in the nation of Israel right now, the, the tribe of Judah and the southern two kingdoms here, okay? They're right with God. Hezekiah is a good king, but, verse 1, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, remember, he's roaming around telling everybody to repent, um, along with a couple others, uh, Jeremiah and some other prophets, the son of Amos, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And then he leaves. You think I'm rough sometimes. Can you imagine? Oh, God told me to tell you, get everything ready, you're going to die. And then he walks out the door. Okay, And it's not till he hits the inner court that God says, you need to turn around and give him some encouragement. Because that's all he said. He didn't have a problem with it. Looks like you're going to die. 
and then leaves. So Hezekiah gets this news, verse 2, then he turns or turned his face towards the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. That's all true. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. See, Hezekiah's 39 years old. He doesn't have any kids. And he's a king and he's been doing what's right. And there is a certain expectation that when you're doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, that there might be some more time or there might be some more grace or a little more favoritism, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm the good kid, you know? I don't know why these bad things have to happen to the good kid kind of thing. And so he's a little upset about it. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle of the court. So that was a quick prayer and a quick answer. Got a hold of Isaiah. God says, turn around. That the word of the Lord came to him, Isaiah, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears, and surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. You know, you get it. I heard your prayer. Okay, I'll give you 15 more years. Well, that's kind of good news, except for what happens in these 15 years. And that's the struggle here. I don't know how to teach this. I'm going to flat out tell you that. Because out of the next few events that are going to take place with these added 15 years, we are going to get some sons for Hezekiah. Praise the Lord. And we're going to have some grandsons and some great-grandsons. And eventually, out of this 15 years, we will have a man named Daniel. You know, Daniel, a whole book written about him in the Bible from this guy's line because of these 15 years. So that's the good thing. The bad thing is going to be the next two chapters. Actually, 21 is going to cover two of these, son and grandson. And it's an absolutely horrific story. So... Should you have asked for the 15 years, Hezekiah? Should you have just let things take their course? You know, I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, do I want more? Well, I, the, the natural instinct is, yeah, I mean, fight, right? We want more life. We need to do whatever we can. We need to, but I've run into cases where there's a DNR, you know, do not resuscitate. I'm not interested in more. I don't care what you have to do. I don't want that. Just let it happen kind of thing. And I've had that happen a couple times in my life. Not, not me specifically having not to resuscitate, but people in my life with those thoughts and feelings towards their life. It's like, I, I'm done. I, I just want to let it go at this point. My mom was one of them. And that's okay. And so telling you this, I don't know how to teach this. Hey, you know what? Listen up. Don't do what this guy did. Or, hey, listen up. Do what this guy did. I don't know. It's a Holy Spirit thing. You really have to be led of the Lord on this. I don't know. I don't know what God wants you to do specifically if you're dealing with something like that in your own life. You do have to pray. You do have to let the Holy Spirit lead you. That's the most important thing I think I can teach anybody in these days. In this day and age, we have Scripture. We hold on to it. But we need to be led by the Holy Spirit for every single instance that's before us. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. What is the right answer here? 
What's the proper steps? What should we do? What shouldn't we do? What do you want to do, God? Because here he says, I need more life. I want more life. Okay, I'll give you these 15 more years. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now he gets 15 more years, but he does not avoid death. It is coming. I think some people have this illusion that if I keep resuscitating, I won't ever die. Well, that's just not the case. One of these times, resuscitation won't work. 100% of people die, provided you're not raptured, which is a different topic altogether. But for the most part, we can all expect to be six feet under at one point in our lives. You know, at the end of our life, not at one point. (laughs) Not funny, is it? Sorry. (laughs) I got three hours of sleep last night. A lot of things are going to be funny that are inappropriately funny to me. It happens. I don't make light of death. Don't misunderstand me. I just see it for what it is. It's a graduation ceremony to go to heaven. I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. So for me to die is gain. I truly believe that. Like Paul, when I die... Bye. I mean, you know, yeah, it's more needful for me to be here with you right now, but bye, you know. Oh, he's gone. Yep. (laughs) And I didn't even look back at you. That's how great it was, you know. So it's not inappropriate. I think it's, for me, realistic. I'm going to heaven. I'm glad to. He wasn't ready. God says, okay, I can do that. I can give you 15 more years. Verse 7. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And so they took and laid it on the boil. That's what he's dying from. And he recovered. And Hezekiah said, not that there was a good way to die, but that's kind of, I mean, how big would it it had to be? Okay. It's just a picture I get in my head. It's like, it's going to kill you. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me? How do I know this is going to work? And that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. First of all, Hezekiah, God said it, so it's going to happen. But fine, if you need some proof. Then Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? Do you want me to make the earth speed up or slow down? He's literally going to change the direction of the rotation of the earth for him. Just to prove it. This is a sundial he's talking about. Do you want to go backwards or forward? Well, the sun doesn't move. We do. So however fast we're going, anybody know? What's the speed of the earth rotation? 1,000 miles an hour. Backward, you know. Cool. You're going to see really something cool here. It's a cool miracle, but we don't make a doctor out of it. Like God can reverse this. There's a lot of things that probably happened that day. There's a lot of people that just kind of went, wait, wait, what? Wait, what just happened? You know, I don't know if they went skidding across the parking lot. I'm kidding. I know that's not how it works. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. You stopped it. <sighs> hey, safe. All right. Three hours of sleep. Keep that in mind, okay? Then Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Time always goes forward. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by, by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Cool. I mean, wow. So what's the point? First Kings chapter 3, verse 14, God gives a promise to the kings. He says this, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. 
He's just keeping his promise. So however we feel about his prayer to the Lord, honestly, all he's asking God to do is saying, can you, you know, can you give me length of days like you said you'd do if we were obeying you? Remember, I obeyed you and you said you'd give us length of days. And maybe God was like, I already gave you length of days. You're supposed to die, you know, when you're 35. I don't know. But God said, okay, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. Now, at that time, verse 12, Barodak, Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, different country, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So he's got a get well card with some money in it. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, spices, the precious ointment, all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? I heard you gave a tour of the country. Well, yeah, this guy wrote me a get well card, gave me some money. I thought I'd show him as I'm making the deposit. This is our bank. Look at it all. There's a lot of stuff here, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here, said the king of another nation, Babylon, who doesn't know God. Come over here. Look at all of our weapons. 27 spears, 15, you know. That's like, hey, Putin, (laughs) you know, why don't you come check out our nuclear codes? Pretty cool, huh? They're all sequential, you know? Write them down. Go ahead. I mean, no, right? So he gives him, so Isaiah pulls him aside and says, Hezekiah, I'm really glad you're enjoying your 15 new years of life. But what did you just do? I took him on a tour. So Hezekiah said, they came from a far country, from Babylon. I mean, this guy's like Gomer Pyle at this point. We can get that way. We lose our bearing. We've lost our sight. We've lost our sense of, he's a king for goodness sakes. He's in charge of national security. He's in charge of everything that goes on. He had to do some serious decision making when he first became king. Tear down the high places. Cut down all those idols. We're going to start worshiping God the way we are. And now he's showing another country all of his stuff. He's lost his focus. He says, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah said, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasure that I have not shown them. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Then I've got a prophecy for you from God. Behold, the days are coming when all that is your house, what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will be, to whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Here's Hezekiah's response to this dark prophecy from God about what he's just done. The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good! Exclamation point. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my day? It's going to be okay for me though, right? This is something that my kids or my grandkids or some generation has to deal with, but I'm going to be all right, right? He's off. He's thinking selfishly. He's thinking about kicking the can down the road. We have a lot of that. A lot of kicking the can down the road. It's a dangerous thing. And he kicks the can down the road. Well, okay. Looks like it's not going to be my problem though, right? Now, like I said, Some of the people that are going to be taken into Babylon were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, 
The guys in the fire, the stories we love to tell, the coloring pages we have our kids do are going to come from this story. Daniel is going to come from this, the lion's den, all the things that go on with Daniel, all of his prophecies, his wisdom that he gives. And in fact, honestly, because of Daniel going to Babylon, going to the east is probably the origin of where the wise men came from to go seek Jesus. They searched the scriptures where they were in the east, written by Daniel, and discovered that they need to follow the star, the prophecy that Daniel gives on how to get there. I mean, there's a lot going on here. So is it the right thing to do? Apparently not. Isaiah calls him on it and says, you shouldn't have done this because here's what's going to happen because of it. But does God turn it around for good? He'll use it. He'll use it. It doesn't mean that I need to make his job harder in my life. But it seems to me there's a perfect will of God and a permissible will of God. And I don't make a doctrine out of that because I don't know that that's true or not. But it seems like Isaiah gives him a prophecy at the beginning of this. You're going to die. Get your house in order. That's a blessing in and of itself, giving you some time to know. But then he asks for more time. And like the permissible will of God allows him to have it. Because the next king, Manasseh, his son, his firstborn son, who's 12 years old when he becomes king, was born during these 15 years, is the worst king in Israeli history. He's the most corrupt, the most disgusting, the most violent king the nation has ever had. And so sometimes, oh, I don't have any kids. That's probably a good thing, buddy. Because the first one out of the chute is going to be the worst king they've ever had, you've ever had. Now, verse 20, the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city. Good you know, ingenuity. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. That's a long time to have an evil king. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. In other words, the people that God evicted from the land that Israel now occupied were evicted because of the very things Israel's going to pick up on and do. In other words, you're so bad, I've got to move you out and move Israel in. Israel's now become them. And they think for some reason, because they're the chosen ones, that they can't possibly have the same punishment as those. He would never move us or forsake us or leave us out of, you know, or draw us out of this land. Oh, yeah, he will. Oh, yeah, he will. Just because you're a so-called believer in the true and living God doesn't mean that he won't yank you out. And he does. They're going to be taken into captivity. 55 years in Jerusalem, he's going to do this. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. That was the difference. Remember that? Some of the kings of the past would do what's right in the, in the sight of the Lord, and they would get worship back the way it's kind of supposed to be, cut down the idols and all that stuff. But they left the high places. It's like a partial reformation. Eh, we'll leave those. The people really like those high places. Well, this guy didn't. Hezekiah took them out. Well, this guy immediately, when he becomes king, it seems, puts them back into place. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image. Oh, come on. Now, can't you be open-minded and just worship other gods? Well, no. Here's what they require. As Ahab, king of Israel, had done, 
And he worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So he defiled even the single place where people could worship the true and living God. He turned it into another place where he could worship other gods. Also, he made his son pass through the fire. That's the Baal worship we're talking about. It's just a, just a, no, for the sake of economic prosperity, they would take their child and pass them through the fire. They would murder their babies so that they could have the prosperity that would follow. This child, if we give him up, the next child will be even greater and better. It's like half a child here. If I give up half, I'll get a whole child kind of thing. It's barbaric, and the whole nation was doing it now, passing their babies through the fire, murdering their babies. So he began doing that. He also made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house um, of which the Lord had uh, said to David and to Solomon, his son. So he made this Asherah, put the statue up in the house of God. In this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I give their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. That's all I ask. Just, just follow me. Just follow me. And this is going to be great. If it's not, though, if you don't follow me and it's not great, then I have those promises are void. I'm going to take you out of the country. I'm going to take you out of this place. You need to obey these things seem so wicked. As you go through this list, it's like, who in the world? I mean, what kind of government is this? It causes their babies to pass through the fire, allows that the practice of soothsaying, using witchcraft, consulting spiritists and mediums. I mean, that's just bizarre stuff. We have, we have scriptural accounts of these things, though, working. It's not like a Milton Bradley Ouija board they're using here, you know? Or whoever makes it, I guess I don't know who makes it. It's not some game or something or some fantasy, you know. These things are working. They're inviting evil into the country. They're inviting evil into their lives. They're bringing the darkness out and welcoming it with arms wide open. And, and it's no surprise their country is going downhill. As their government begins to allow these things to slip in and then embraced and then encouraged. And then you're rebuked if you think otherwise. Or you're shut down. I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore if they do these things, he says. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Um, This, uh, this evil um, that he describes is seductive. Um, people don't do these things because they just get this wacky idea that this is a good idea today. People sin. People go down a certain road because it's enticing. It's either an easier path. 
It's either what the path everybody else is going down, or it's going to pleasure one of our senses. It's going to take care of one of the needs of our flesh. That's what sin does. Nobody goes to sin because it's horrible. They go to it because it's one of those three things. Easy, everybody else is doing it, or it pleases the flesh. There's a false sense of closeness or whatever. It's wrong. It's enticing. Manasseh seduced the nation. The nation began to, which means they weren't, but they began to get accustomed to this. And for 55 years, 57 years, we're going to see in a minute, but for 55 years, they were told this and it became normal. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets. So they're all over the country. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, and some of the other guys are all over the country spreading the word of the Lord because it's not being spread like it should. It's not being taught in the temple. Prophets begin to go out and begin to tell everybody this because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations. He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. Now, there's a scripture I want to read to you. Who is this? This is Ezekiel saying this. No, no. Sorry. Hold on. I printed on both sides. I hate that. Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah is the one prophesying this very prophecy we just read in 2 Kings. But here it is from Jeremiah's book. Thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen vessel and take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests. So he's not speaking directly to the king, but he is speaking to the leadership who should be listening to God and should be seeking the Lord, Right? He takes him, he says, here's what's going to happen. Go get this potter, take some of the elders of the priests, elders of the people, and go out to the valley of, of, of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the Potshar gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring such catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. And he goes on. He goes on to what he's going to do. And I'm going to let you read that on your own because we don't have time to read the entire passage. But it's long because they've forsaken me, because they've let aliens in this place, because they have burned incense to other gods. Their fathers, their kings of Judah have known and filled this place with blood of the innocents. I've seen that. I feel all that. Your worshiping of Baal disgusts me. And he goes on and on to describe this. Until he changes the name from the city of Tophet to the, to the Valley of Slaughter. That's your new nickname. You're the valley of slaughter. That's how I see it. But to be very careful as a country. Land of the free, home of the brave. Depending on how we act. Depending on what we let happen here in our country. Depending on what we do with that home of the free and home of the brave. You know, land of the free, home of the brave. God may see us completely different than what we call ourselves. Are we the valley of slaughter to him? Are we the valley of the rebellion people against him? I mean, what are we in his eyes? Who cares what we motto ourselves? What does God think? And that's the only question we should be asking ourselves. What does God think of us? What does God think of our country? So he tells him, 
they're going to tingle in their ears when they hear this stuff that I'm going to do. They're going to be like, ooh, gives me the shivers to think about what God's going to do to the nation of Israel. And I will stretch over Jerusalem, the measuring line of Samaria, the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Seems like a harsh punishment, but God's trying to prove a point. I have protected you. I have been your hedge of protection. I watched out for you. I've been guarding you regardless of how you feel, felt about me, but I would still do it, but I'm done. If you do not want me as your God, if you're going to worship the way you want to worship and not listen to me, if you're going to insist on modeling yourself the valley of slaughter, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to let you defend yourselves. I'm going to let you go at it the way you want to go at it. I'm going to let these things come in that I've been keeping back, and here it comes. This wave, this flood that's been kept back from God for so long, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did, and the sin that he committed are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. Probably are. So Manasseh rested with his fathers and buried, and he was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. This is the grandson of Hezekiah, and he only gets two years. So 55 plus two. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. That's it. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of um, Haruz of Jatba. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he follows in his dad's footsteps. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now that's what we're looking forward to next week. I wish I could get there today, but I can't. Josiah, he's a good little boy. He's going to be eight years old when he becomes king. And for the most part, an eight-year-old kid, probably not running the country. Probably the advisors, you know. Maybe he's like, I declare Wednesday chocolate milk day. Okay, you know, we can do that. We can let you have that one. But for the most part, everything's being run by the advisors, you know. But when he gets older and he begins to see the temple in disrepair, I'm wondering, why is, why is God's house like this? Now, what makes someone think that way? This is encouraging to me because we've got Hezekiah who follows the Lord. We've got a, a son who absolutely goes in complete rebellion against his dad. He's got a grandson that actually follows his dad. And he's worse than his dad was, you know, or leads him in the same direction. But then you got this great grandson that shows up and he wants to follow the ways of the Lord. How do you figure that? Each person is responsible for their own walk with the Lord. Yes, some of us had to come to the Lord without our parents training us up in the way that we should go. 
And when we are old, we will not depart from it. And that didn't happen with us. But Jesus saved us anyway. And we walk with him and we walk in obedience to him. And our life began there. That repentance took place. That being born again took place. Filled with the Spirit, listening to God's word and just doing what he said. And that's all Josiah is going to do, regardless of his heritage. Regardless of what his dad did or what his grandpa did, because all he knows is his grandpa, crazy Manasseh, you know. He does and finds when they rebuild this temple, when they begin to refurbish it, they find the word of God. He says, bring me the book. And they read it to him. And he's like, we need to be doing this stuff. How come we're not doing this stuff? And he starts doing it. Look, the book says we're supposed to do it. Well, yeah, technically it says we're supposed to do it, but we haven't done that in 57 years. Well, we're going to start today. That's all it took for the revival to begin. That's all it'll take for a revival in anyone's heart. You read the Word of God today, and you do the Word of God today. Apply it. And all of a sudden, you've repented. You've turned away from your sin, and you're walking towards God. It's that simple. It's not a complicated process. How do I get back to God? Just turn around. Very simple. I've taken some wrong paths in my life, literally walking on a path and went the wrong way, you know? And realizing that, I said, well, I can continue down this path knowing I'm not going to reach my destination, or I can just turn around and go back and take that other road that I should have taken. Now, I choose that most of the time because I'm not an idiot, right? I'm like, why would I continue down this road if I know it doesn't lead where I want to go? If I want to go to heaven as a human being and I don't want to go to hell, and God says the road you're on is going to hell, it isn't a tough choice. It isn't hard to do. I simply look at the road and say, I'm not going to go another step down that ridiculous road. I'm not going to be an idiot. I'm going to walk this way and take the Christ road and follow Jesus. Pulling a little Isaiah on you this morning, a little blunt. Sorry. But I'm kind of tired of trying to convince people to live. I get tired of telling people, why do you want to die? Why do you want to go to hell? Why not choose the road of life and have a great life and walk with the Lord and have peace and joy and patience and long-suffering and kindness and gentleness and self-control? Well, because I'm not so sure. I don't even know what to say anymore half the time. It's like, look, all I can do is give you the information. That road's going to hell, and you're on it. This road's going to life, and I encourage you to get on it, but I can't drag you. All I can do is walk this way. I encourage you to get on that road. If you're not on that road this morning, certainly you understand. Turn. Don't go down that road anymore. Start walking with the Lord. Don't think about what you're going to have to give up. Think about what you're gaining. Everlasting life. It's a free gift given by God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for you and your sins. Or stay on the path, continue to keep the sins, own them, and the responsibility of paying the price for them yourself, which is hell. That are, those are the two options God has given us. Josiah next week is going to choose the right way. He's going to read the word of God and say, we're going the wrong direction. And he's going to change the course of his nation. Good little boy. 
So they take out Ammon. He only lives two years. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah reigned in his place. The last scripture, real quick. We're 10 minutes early, so I, I got real quick, though. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. And I want you guys to hear this, especially young people, because it's written to Timothy, who's a young guy. He's a pastor. He's been given a lot of responsibility from Paul. And so Paul writes him this letter. He says, Timothy, verse 12, chapter 4, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word and conduct in love and spirit and faith and purity. Do those things. Because honestly, some of us old folks... We need that example. We need to be convicted. The innocence of my kids and the obedience of my kids, the forgiveness that my kids offer me, the things that I see in, my, in the younger generation brings conviction to me. And it should. And I'm not embarrassed to say it. I love it. I love it when I feel convicted. Man, I need to be more forgiving. I mean, that was so fast. My kids are so fast with it. You know, why does it take me forever? Now, the scripture he says before verse 12, I think we need to pay attention to. It begins in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says, Timothy, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word of faith, and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Very simple. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time that we've had this morning and the, uh, the, the worship we've had, the singing and the praying and the fellowship that we've had. We, we just absolutely love it. Now, we've heard your word this morning. And we pray that we'd receive it with gladness and, and apply it, that we just be doers. And we read it like Josiah is going to read. I just wish we could have gotten that today, but we didn't. Just like Josiah next week is going to do. I mean, talk about pressure. He's just going to find the word of God. They're going to read it. And he says, say, why weren't we doing it? And he just starts doing it. So simple. Help us to keep it that simple, to keep our faith that simple, to just do what you tell us to do, to believe that you have your, our best interests at heart, to know that you're a good, good father like we sang, that you're always wanting us to succeed and to do well with you, and you've shown us the way to do that through obedience, just like you told the nation of Israel, if you just do these things, you're going to have length of days, and I'll be with you. But they didn't. I mean, they did. They disregarded you. 
Lord, help us never to disregard you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.